Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. I hope you take opportunities. No, I hope you make opportunities. That would be a better way to, to say it. Uh, to pray for our nation. Uh, we will celebrate, I think it's our 247th um, anniversary of the freedoms that God has given us as a nation, freedoms that allow us to uh, gather and worship Him, to celebrate uh, His goodness in our lives, and I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful for a lot of things. I'm, I'm thankful for the many ways that uh, so many of you bless us. The young man that was up here a moment ago, Xander Schultz, who uh, was leading us in our responsive reading, uh, bless this church pretty recently. Some of you know it, some of you don't. Um, Xander is working towards uh, his Eagle Scout status, and part of that work involved doing a pretty significant project uh, for, that would bless the community. And so Xander decided that he wanted his project to not only bless the larger community, but specifically the community of River Bluff Church. And so there are going to be some pictures that come up as I'm talking about this. Uh, but Xander uh, asked permission and was given permission to uh, construct a fire pit. And so you'll see some of the work that's going on, but Xander was responsible for putting together a team of volunteers to do the work. He was responsible uh, for raising the money to accomplish the work. Um, he was responsible for organizing it and leading it, doing all the paperwork and it, just all kinds of things. And uh, just so you know, they cleared approximately 1,500 square foot of land. They moved about 6,500 pounds of bricks and block. Uh, they uh, put in about 38,000 pounds of gravel and estimated they had about 100 uh, work hours in, engaged in this project. He raised just under $2,000 to pull the project off, and he did all that to bless you. So thank you, Xander. We, we do appreciate it. We appreciate that. And, and um, so as you have opportunity, thank him individually. Uh, just uh, just as, as you see Xander uh, in our hallways, he's one of our students in our student ministry and just a, uh, he and his family, a great blessing to our church. Uh, you're a great blessing to our church by your presence here today. I'm grateful you're here. If you're a first time guest uh, and you didn't get kind of stopped on the way in, we want you to know that we have a gift for you. We would, we would love to give you a gift. You could uh, stop out at the, uh, the welcome center, the table, the welcome table there. And uh, one of our team members, our greeters, would love to give you uh, one of those gifts. And uh, just to say thanks for, for coming and joining us. We're, we're today, we're going to celebrate um, our, our freedom, not just as a nation, um, and not even mostly as a nation. We're going to today to take some time to celebrate our freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a, a deeper, richer, more powerful, it's an eternal freedom. Uh, national freedoms come and go, unfortunately, but the freedom that we have in Lord Jesus remains forever. And we want to celebrate that. And one of the ways that we're going to do that today is through the sharing in Holy Communion. And I want to just share a passage of Scripture with you to prepare us for that moment that's going to come later in, in our service. Uh, God's Word tells us what we need to do to share in Holy Communion. And it's going to come up on the screen. I want to read this to you if you would follow along. 
um, Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. So Paul is saying he is giving to us and what we're about to read. This is straight from Jesus. It says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine uh, after uh, supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. It is an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat of this bread and drink from this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat of the bread or drink of the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. This is the word of the Lord. We don't want anybody to eat God's judgment or drink God's judgment upon themselves. And so we want to take what we do very seriously uh, in these moments. And Paul really captures, I think, the essence of what Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, is about, reminding us of its significance, uh, of its of its power, of its transformative nature. He recounted the words that Jesus himself spoke. They're, they're profound, and yet they're deep uh, and, and rich. They're simple. Um, it's a time of remembrance, Paul, Paul tells us. It's a time uh, where we would deliberate, and we would recall, and we would celebrate the, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a moment to remember his incredible sacrifice made on our behalf, his body broken, his blood shed, all, all out of love for us. And it's a chance that for you and for me to kind of enter into a, a, a depth, if you would, of God's, of God's grace and mercy to kind of just step into that through the use of these tangible symbols that Jesus gave us. And don't forget that uh, urging that the Apostle Paul gave us, reminding us uh, not to eat or drink in a manner that's unworthy. And so what would that look like? What, what, what is an, what we would call an unworthy manner, to partake in an unworthy way? Well, it means approaching it with a callous heart, just coming to the Lord's table with a callous heart or with a life uncommitted to responding to His, his goodness for all that He's done uh, to, to pour out His love for you. It means coming with reverence. It means appreciating the sacrifice that He made. It, it means you know, not participating without thinking about the significance, not, not coming to this as some routine or, or some ritual. So Paul urges us to examine ourselves, to, exa- to think deeply about what brings us to that table. It's a call to repentance. It's a call to reconciliation. It's a call to uh, reflect uh, in our own souls and uh, to examine things like our motives, uh, to examine attitudes in our hearts, and to examine beliefs that we have about the freedoms that Jesus said He came 
to give us. And so that's what I want us to do uh, this morning, is I want us to take some time to remember. So today's message is not going to be one of those messages where I'm really aiming to give you, you know, three or four takeaways. This is more about remembering. It's a uh, kind of a reminding, if you would, uh, of the basics. And so we're just going to look at some basic freedoms. And my hope is that not only on, you know, Tuesday when we celebrate uh, National Independence Day, I, I want you to be able to begin today celebrating, uh, even through that day, uh, kind of a declaration of our independence from Satan and sin and, and death, because that's what Jesus said he came to give. Now, if you were with us three weeks ago, you may recall that we did uh, a message from John chapter 8. We're going back there, so if you've got a Bible and you want to open it, we're going to be in John chapter 8 uh, in just a moment. Um, we're going to be starting and reading in verses 30 through 36 today, but we looked a few weeks ago at verses 1 through 12. This incredible encounter that Jesus had with this woman who was uh, literally caught in the act of adultery. Uh, she was brought in a horrified manner, drugged through the streets of Jerusalem, drugged across, across the courts of, of the temple, and she was thrown down at the feet of Jesus who was teaching in the temple at that moment. And we see that Jesus marvelously displayed grace and truth. He blessed that woman that day. He restored her dignity in a way be, that he loved her in front of her accusers. And now this point that John makes in John chapter 8 is that uh, many began to follow him. Now, up until this point, the gospel of John has told us many things that Jesus has done. Uh, John has shown us how uh, Jesus had turned water into wine, how he had healed a government official's son, had he, how he had healed a man who had been crippled uh, for, for 38 years, how he had claimed to be the son of God, how he taught the scriptures as one with an authority that uh, they had not seen in Israel uh, before, how he miraculously with just a, a few loaves of bread and a few fish fed estimated 15,000 people, 5,000 men plus uh, women and, and children. Uh, John showed us how he walked on water, how he claimed to be the bread of life, claimed that he was capable of offering living water to any who would believe him, claimed that he was the light of the world. And through all of these miraculous things and these teachings, Jesus had stirred things up. He had people stirred up, so much so that some hated him and were plotting to kill him. But his words had been so rich and his deeds so miraculous that others believed, believed that he was the Messiah that the scriptures had promised. And so that's where we pick up in John chapter 8, starting to read in verse 30 uh, this morning. We read these words. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I want you to see how they respond to that, because uh, several aspects of John chapter 8 was kind of this back and forth with them. It said, but they answered him, these Jews who had believed now, that's who he's talking to, we are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. Now, can we pause there for just a second? One of the greatest 
annual celebrations of the Jews was something called Passover, which was celebrating what? Their freedom from 400 years of captivity. And now these are, now remember, these are Jews who had believed Jesus asking a really dumb question and making a really dumb statement. Well, here, here's the question that follows that kind of dumb statement. So how is it that you say to us, you will become free? I mean, they, they, they make this statement, we've never been enslaved. So how can you tell us about freedom? Here's Jesus' response. Jesus answered them, truly, truly. And remember, if ever, Jesus ever says anything twice, back to back, pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son, child of God, the son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Friends, that's the word of the Lord. And I want us to focus on two particular verses from that passage that we read, really verses 31 and 32, where Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you will truly be my disciples. And out of that, you will know the truth, and the truth of God will set you free. And this leads to kind of the big idea uh, for our time together today. And it's simply this. True biblical freedom comes only from knowing God's truth found only in the person of Jesus. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the word in flesh. Jesus was the, 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 the logos. He was the truth from God. Truth, as, as much as the world would like us to believe that truth is like a philosophy or that truth is a certain set of precepts, truth is not. Truth is a person. Truth is the person of Jesus. Truth is found in him alone. Jesus said in John 14, uh, verse 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You will never know all of the truth of the universe, the truth about God, except through Jesus. Truth is a person. No one comes to God other than through that person. In John chapter 1, uh, John opened his gospel with these words in verse 14 and verse 17 about Jesus. Says, and the word Jesus became flesh, and he dwelt among us, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth for the law and the law in that day uh, that Jesus was uh, teaching into and about and fulfilling the law was all about the Jewish life that was their whole life revolved around the law it says for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came how through Jesus Christ see truth is a person it's the person of Jesus, which is why Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. If you abide in me, you will know the truth. Truth will set you free. So what does the truth found in Jesus set us free to be and to do? What, what does it set us free to do? How do we use our freedom? Well, I want to give you a few things, and then I want us to, to, to share in something else in, in, in a few moments. Here's the first of many things that truth sets us free to do. First of all, it will set us free to receive Jesus' atoning sacrifice. Friends, if, if your mind has ever been opened by the power of the Holy Spirit to see that you are a sinner separated from God and that you need Jesus, 
That is a great freedom. That is a great free gift from God. That your mind was illuminated to see the truth about yourself and the truth about Jesus that he has been offered as your atoning sacrifice. Now back in the Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus would walk the earth, God sent him as a helpless babe. And and God, 700 years before that, inspired the prophet uh, Isaiah to speak of the sacrificial suffering, the atoning sacrifice that the Messiah would make. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 says, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. We have left God's path to follow our own. The Bible says every one of us has. We've all walked away from God's plan. Yet, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. See, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, which the prophet was prophesying about 700 years before it would happen, the New Testament writers help us see this in, in light of the new covenant, what it practically means. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, Christ had no sin, but God made him to become sin so that in Christ we could become right with God. The Holy Spirit inspired the apostle Peter to write these words, 1 Peter chapter 2. Christ carried our sin in his body on the cross so that freed from sins we could live a life that God has God's approval. His wounds have healed you. Friends, when Jesus hung on that cruel cross, the physical suffering was horrible, absolutely. Uh, if you've ever read a medical description of it, it's just, it's gruesome, it's horrible. But it did not compare to the suffering of his soul from bearing your sin and mine. I don't know about you, but there are some days when the guilt and the shame of my own sin sometimes feels like it's more than I can bear. And Jesus carried my sin and my guilt and my shame, and he carried yours, and he carried that of everyone who has ever drawn breath on this planet. He carried them all in his body on the cross that day. He took those those sins, God, God put them on him so that when he died, they would die too. That if you would receive him, it would count as an atoning sacrifice for your sin. It would be covered and you would be made right with God. And you can live in the freedom of Christ's atoning sacrifice. No longer having to bear the guilt. No longer having to bear the shame, but set free. But you have to decide. You personally, individually have to decide. Your parents can't decide for you. You have to choose to receive that gift, that offer of an atoning sacrifice. Have you done it? Have you said to Jesus, Jesus, I trust that you are the son of the living God. I I believe that you came to die that death on that cross to atone for my sins. I believe that my sin was carried with you on that cross and that when you died, they died there. That you killed my sin right there, Jesus. And that I, by trusting you, can be set free. If I will believe that in my heart, if I will confess it with my mouth, 
that atoning sacrifice can set me free. But you have to believe and you have to make it public. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me, whoever tries to hide me, if you would, from men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You got to go public. You got to make a public statement about your faith in Jesus that you have received his atoning sacrifice. You put your trust in him. Now, normally in a service, uh, when you get to a point like this, here's what the pastor would do. He would say, and if you, you know, if you want to do that, you can do that right now. And you can. You can just, the, the Bible says, anyone who will call on the name of the Lord can be saved. If you will come to Jesus saying, Jesus, I believe in my heart. And Jesus, I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. The Bible says you can receive that atoning sacrifice and you can be made right with God. You can do it right now. You can just, in, in your mind, you can pray that prayer. And I would encourage you to if you never have. Well, the next thing that a pastor would normally do in that moment is he would then say, if you just prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand? I'm not going to ask you to do that. Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask every single one of you who has ever put your trust in Christ, who has ever believed in your heart, that he was God's son, and that God has raised him from the dead. If you have publicly professed that through baptism, some other way, uh, maybe you haven't had a chance to be baptized yet, but you were professing him uh, as your Savior and Lord. If you've ever done that at any time in your life, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. Hold it up. I just want you to look around the room. Praise God. Thank God that you can confess that. You can see it. Okay, you can put them down. Now, if you were not able to raise your hand just then, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one of the connection cards that's in the seat back in front of you. If you're saying, I want to do that, I've trusted Christ, but I've never made it public. We want to help you take that step through baptism. If you will write your name on that connection card, your contact information, and just boldly write somewhere on there, baptize, we will contact you about setting up soon for you to go public through baptism which is the first step of a disciple who wants to follow Jesus. And so I would encourage you to do that today, to follow him that way and just simply write that down so that you can see one of the things that baptism will do for you is it will confirm in your mind because you will do something with your body that confirms that I am a follower of Jesus. And you will be able to look back on that day because Satan's going to come at you at times and say, ah, no, I don't know you can believe this stuff. I don't know that you can say that you really trust Jesus. You could point back and say, you know what? I went public. I told the world the day I got baptized, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. We want to help you have that defining moment and experience with Jesus in your life. And on top of that, it's an act of obedience. It's an act of obedience. Jesus told us to follow him that way. So you can have the freedom of living that sacrificial atonement in a public way, which leads to a second freedom, and it's this. You are free from the tyranny and penalty and identity of sin. See, friends, Jesus, Jesus did not die halfway, as some would have us believe. Jesus did not get raised halfway. Jesus doesn't do anything halfway. Jesus does not redeem halfway. 
Jesus is all in. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under grace. Because of that atoning sacrifice, it was, it was comprehensive. You and I no longer, if we're living in the freedom of that great sacrifice, we are no longer under the tyranny of Satan and sin and death. We're no longer under, we've been set free from the rule, the conquering rule that sin could have over us. We're free from that. We're, we're free forever from the penalty of death. We don't have death as a penalty awaiting us. Romans 6.23 tells us that the payment for sin is death. But, I love the but, but there's this gift that God freely gives. It's everlasting life, and it is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, before we receive Jesus' gift of his atonal sacrifice, uh, atoning sacrifice, the Bible tells us that we were dead in our sin. We, we were dead before him. We were destined to spend eternity uh, in torment, being separated from the beautiful love of God completely, forever, cut off from God. But, but the gift of God that he freely gives is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and that gift from God gives, it's a complete gift in every way. Because your sin was atoned for. You have, you have freedom. And God will, will never again condemn you. Uh, he, he, he separates you from your sin in his mind. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 31 that God says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. God can choose to never remember your sin. You, you can't do that. You can't do that about your spouse or your kids or your worst enemy. You can't choose to remember your sin no more. God can. When you come to Christ, he remembers it no more. It will no longer be held against you. In fact, Psalms 103 tells us that God, he takes our sins and he puts them as far from us as the east is from the west. I don't know if you've ever looked, but on every globe that I've ever seen, east and west never meet. They keep running from each other. That's how far God has put your sin away from you. He can't see it anymore. We've been freed from the tyranny and the penalty of sin and the identity. You know, you were identified in God's sight before you trusted Christ as a sinner. That's, that's the way God saw you. You were a sinner dead in your sins. But when you came to Christ, you were set free from that identity. Yes, from the tyranny. Yes, from the penalty. But you were no longer identified by God as a sinner. Man, how freeing is that? Your whole identity was changed. Your identity was so radically changed. Here, here's how the Scripture describes it in 2 Corinthians 5. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Old life, gone. New life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Not only was sense tyranny overcome and sense penalty overcome, but sense identifying in you has been overcome. He sets you free by making you a whole new creation. You're no longer a sinner. The Bible says in Christ, you are a saint. Look at somebody near you and say, you're a saint, baby. Just look at somebody near you. Tell them, you're a saint. In Jesus, you're a saint. That's the truth about you. Now, you may be a saint who sometimes still struggles with sin. 
and you probably are like me, a saint who sometimes struggle with sin, but it no longer defines you. In the sight of God, you're not seen that way. You know, see, when, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus, that sacrificial atonement for you. Friends, that is, that is an independence from sin and Satan and the power of it to celebrate, but it's a dependence on God. And that independence from Satan and sin and death is what brings us to the Lord's table to remember and to celebrate. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to join me in just taking hold of that little all-in-one package cup element. If you've never used one of these before, let me suggest you go ahead and do this. There's a little tab. Just flick it with your finger down. Just flick it down. Okay? I know that sounds ridiculous, but trust me, it will be helpful in a moment. See, we come to the Lord's table. We need to come with humility. We need to come with gratitude. We need to approach these moments with deep wonder and awe because you're being invited to share in a great mystery. When we, when we take a moment this wafer and we eat of it, when we drink from the cup, we're, we're, we have an opportunity to, to enter into the relationship with, with the Trinity. And it, it shapes us and it reflects to us the great love Jesus has for us. And it speaks to the way that Jesus has made us worthy. And it is a catalyst for healing, deep healing in our souls. That's why it's called communion, that we can commune with the God of all creation through these, through these moments. And so this communion is for any person who has ever put their trust in Christ and gone public with that. It is not for perfect people. It is for forgiven people. That's who communion is for. And Paul told us not to take it lightly that these next few moments carry great weight. But we need to, we need to pause and we need to celebrate and remember what Jesus did. And so the Bible tells us that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. And I'm going to ask you to pull back that first layer of cellophane and hold on to that little wafer for just a moment. That he took the bread. And he broke it, and he blessed it. And that Jesus said that this was his body, and that his body was given for you. And as he gave thanks for it, he told us to take it and eat it, and when we do, to remember him. Take and eat all of it. Now, I'm going to ask you, to, if you would, to go ahead and break that second seal. The Bible tells us that then Jesus took the cup. And he said uh, about this moment that this cup was contained, his blood of the new covenant, and it was being poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And then he told those who follow him, to take and drink all of it. I've asked Pastor Dean Enfinger if he would come and lead us in a moment of prayer. 
giving thanks to God for what he did when he instituted the Lord's Supper. Dean, if you would lead us. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Dean. You know, the freedom that Jesus bought is displayed in all that communion is about, and that we are free to come to the Lord's table to commune with Him. It's not something we only do when we come to the table. See, one of the other freedoms that God gave us is that you are free in Christ to commune with a holy God all the time. All the time are you free to commune with the holy God, to enjoy unbroken fellowship with the God who spoke existence into all of creation into existence, to, to constantly experience his presence with you at all times. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, look, I've been standing at the door I've been constantly knocking. If anyone hears me calling and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. In John 14, 23, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. My father will love him. And we, we will come to him and make our home with him. Just a chapter later in John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus said, if you will live in me, I will live in you. And friends, this means that we'll, we'll be free to just enjoy that, that relationship with him constantly, con, continuously. Uh, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said in 2 Corinthians 6, for we are the sanctuary of the living God. And God said, I will dwell among them and I will walk among them and I will be their God. They will be my people. See, God has chosen through, through Jesus to make you the place he dwells, the place that God lives is, is in you. You know, I don't know about you, but when I find myself having wandered back into sin, my first instinct is to run from God. That's my first instinct. You know, for some reason, what that means is I, I, I still believe in places in my heart the lie that God is kind of like me, you know, and that he... Uh, is so ashamed, like I get of myself, he's so ashamed that he doesn't want to be near me. 
And that as I want to distance myself from my sin, that that's how God must feel about me. He wants to distance himself from me, assuming that, you know, he doesn't want to be near me, that his grace certainly isn't strong enough to deal with my sin. But friends, we saw this again three weeks ago in John chapter 8, when when Jesus came face to face with that woman caught in in the act of adultery. You know, uh, he completely obliterated that whole fleshly, worldly perception of his grace and mercy. If you can just remember again, maybe, the fear that would have been in her heart, the, the horrific shame and embarrassment that she would have felt being caught in the act of a terrible sin, and then it displayed in front of God and everybody, literally in front of God in the flesh, she would drug and thrown in front of him. Just put yourself in her position. Can you feel the, the piercing stares of the onlookers? Can you hear those horrible judgment that the religious leaders brought against her? But then imagine Jesus. Imagine Jesus looking into your face in a moment like that. Jesus wouldn't look surprised. He wouldn't look shocked. He wouldn't seem worried. He wouldn't seem, you know, undone by it. He, he wouldn't have eyes that condemn. Instead, what he does is he shows you the fullness of his grace for his sins. See, friends, God longs to cast away all the lies that the accuser has filled our hearts and minds with, all the lies that he wants to speak over us when we find ourselves stepping and falling back into sin. God longs to cause all those judgments that you even speak over yourself to be shattered and obliterated by the power of his grace. Jesus stands before you today. Nail-pierced hands, spear-pierced side, saying, I paid the price for all of that. So you don't need to live with it. Instead, I want to empower you, just like he did the woman that day. He empowered her to go from this point forward and sin no more. By his love and grace, receive his love, experience the power. Instead of running from him, run to him. Run into his arms of love so that you can experience the total freedom that he has for you in the depths of your soul. Would you, would you hear these words found in Revelation 21? God says, behold, the tabernacle of God, which means the dwelling place, the place where God lives, is with men. It's with you. It's, it's in you. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Friends, he's with you. Bible says he's with you to deliver you. He, he, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will not be disgusted by you if you're in Christ. That's the promise of God. The God who created everything and he's given you freedom. He's also given you freedom in a life that communes with him. He's given you freedom to do something else and that's the freedom to bless others in Jesus' name. A freedom to bless others in Jesus' name. You're not just free from something negative. You're free for something glorious. 
for something powerful, for something world-changing. You have been set free to experience moment-by-moment communion with God so that you can turn and bless the world, that you can be a blessing in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, you should be a light for other people. Live so that they will see the good things you do and will praise your Father in heaven. Go, go live in the freedom that Jesus bought. Isaiah 1, 17 says, learn to do good. Seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, fight for the rights of widows. You have that power, that authority in the freedom that you have because you are able to commune moment by moment with the God of all creation. Acts 20, 35 says, by everything I did, I showed how you should work to help overcome everyone who is weak. Remember that our Lord Jesus said, more blessings come from giving than from receiving. Friends, you have received great blessing from the Lord. You have received freedom that's unimaginable for all eternity. And Jesus says, even greater than what you received, you can give through blessing. You can give to somebody else. So God's word compels us to do this. Jeremiah chapter 29 tells us how. Work for the good of the city where I've taken you. And pray to the Lord for that city. Because when it prospers, you will also prosper. We work to bring freedom to, to our city, to the places where we live, work, and play. And you say, well, what does it look like to do that? Well, Jesus sent his disciples out and told them what it looks like. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, now freely give. Freely you were given freedom, now go give it to others. Some of you are saying, now hold on, Joe. I don't know if I'm able to raise the dead. Friends, if you can share what Jesus has done for you to a person that the Bible says is dead in their sins, you can be part of a resurrection of somebody else. you got to share Jesus. You have the power to be a part of raising the dead, people who are dead and trapped in their sins. You have the power. You have the power to speak healing into their lives through the power of the resurrection that lives in you because Jesus is there. You have the freedom of that kind of power to be released in our community. Isaiah chapter 61 tells us this. The sovereign Lord, Isaiah said, has filled me with his spirit. He has chosen me and sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to announce release to the captives and freedom to those in prison. You have been given freedom to bless others with freedom. In our freedom, we're called to bless. Real quickly, four ways. Just four ways we we can bless in the brokenness of the mess of our world. First, by acknowledging that people are hurting. People are hurting. They're feeling it right now. A recent survey that I read um, by Ipsos, it's a survey, and it said this, that more than six in ten Americans agree with three statements. Here, listen to these three statements. The United States economy is rigged to advantage the rich and powerful. Sixty-six percent of the people in our nation believe that. Traditional parties and politicians don't care about people like me. Sixty-four percent of Americans believe that. Experts in this country don't understand the lives of people like me. 61% of people believe that. Six in ten people in our, our country hold that to be true. As you're celebrating Independence Day, think about uh, six in ten, 60% of our nation believe that's true about our nation. 
that the world, our nation is broken around them, that the deck is stacked against them, and that nobody who has any power to do anything about it is on their side. Friends, those feelings do not come from a specific age group or a specific gender or ethnic group or a special interest group. That's Americans. 60% say they're living with that. So how do we respond? Well, we respond by acknowledging that their feelings are real. But we acknowledge it as people with hope. We, we, don't, we don't get sucked into it. And we got to be real careful here because we can get sucked into it. We can get sucked into the, the moaning, groaning, complaining aspects of this. And if we do that, you know, it'll debilitate and we will no longer be those people bringing hope. Friends, instead of taking up their offenses, you know, and being offended ourselves, we've got to be the ones who bring Jesus. We're the people of hope, with hope, and we can bring healing to our land by bringing the hope and, and peace of Christ in, which leads to a second way that we can bless in the brokenness, and that is by praying for our culture's leaders, our institutional leaders, our political leaders. We need to, we need to start down that path. You know, when, when people are seeing and thinking and believing that the deck is stacked against them, that institutions and governments are, 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 are against them, what, what people need to see us do is pray. To go to God in prayer. To say, let me pray with you about that. Let's go to God with this. Paul in his first letter to Timothy, was trying to instruct Timothy on how to help people face things like this. And this is what Paul said, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. He says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. And then he gets specific, for kings, for all those in authority. This, this is good. And this pleases God our Savior. Friends, you have freedom to bring hope through prayer to people. You have the freedom to connect people to who are hurting and broken and afraid and believes their, their country is against them. You have the ability to bring them into the presence of God through prayer. And we need to do that. An, a, another way that we can bless in the brokenness is by treating others with dignity. Now, friends, here's the deal. If you will start praying for the leaders of our nations, the ones you don't like, start, and I'm not saying pray judgment on their heads. I'm not talking about praying that God to kill them, okay? I'm talking about praying for them legitimately as people created in the image of God. If you will begin doing that and you do that consistently long enough, do you know what's going to happen? Your heart's going to change. You cannot pray for somebody consistently long enough over a long period of time and not begin to love them if you are truly seeking the Lord in your prayers. And then you will begin to speak about them with the dignity they deserve as being someone who is created in the image of God Almighty. And we need to do that, friends. We need to start seeing everybody that we meet as someone who Jesus died for with unimaginable dignity and value and worth. Listen to the Word of God. It says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Because of this, make every effort to add integrity to your faith, and to integrity add knowledge, to knowledge add self-control, to self-control add endurance, to endurance add godliness, to godliness add Christian affection, and to Christian affection add love. 
See, these are words from the apostle Peter, and he's encouraging us to move in this way, to, to live in our freedom, to live freely this way where we live, work, and play. Even if your job itself is, feels like it's a, you know, a, a place that just is filled with red tape, you can still care about the people that you serve. Even if your job frustrates people, you know, um, you, you can serve them in love. Peter goes on to say, live such good lives among unbelievers that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. One of the things that I have tried to teach myself to do when I hear a siren of an emergency vehicle is pray. It's, it's just, just I, I mean, I don't have a long prayer. It's just God help. God help. You know, God help those first responders. You know, anyone can be a first responder in our broken world as you encounter the brokenness of people. Now, maybe you won't, you, you won't actually, you know, keep somebody from death as they might, but you could keep them from an eternal death by taking the hope of Jesus, you know, our, we, can be, we can be life-giving. Philippians 2, Paul tells us, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like stars in the universe as you, 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 you hold out the word of life. You hold it out, which leads to the fourth way that we are able to step into the brokenness and bless. And it's by sharing the true source of hope. The true source of hope and, and, and all peace is found in Christ. You know, God seated on his throne is powerful enough to do anything, but the Bible teaches us that God stands next to the brokenhearted. He stands next to the poor and those in need. When it feels like no institution, no government, no organization will stand up for people, God will. And people need to hear that. People need to hear that the God of all creation will stand with them and, and for them. And, you know, as we become aware of the pain and the mistrust that people around us feel because our society is so broken, we, we discover that the only thing that will bring healing is Jesus. Another recent survey that I read from, from Lifeway revealed this. 74% of Americans say they believe that it is important that every person have peace. It goes on to say that 71% of all Americans believe it is utterly important for people to have hope in their lives. Friends, you and I know the God of all hope. If you know Jesus, we know the King of all peace. Colossians 1.27 says this, This secret is Christ himself who is in you. He is our only, our only hope. Ephesians 2.14 says this, Christ himself is our peace. When people believe that their government and economic systems and the rich and powerful, you know, are the only ones who will have peace or the only ones who will have hope, one of the things that will happen is when they see you and me, just kind of regular, everyday people filled with peace and filled with hope, 
it will make them curious. That, that's what the scripture teaches. People, you'll be a light in, in a dark place. And it will give you an opportunity to bring the goodness of God into those dark places. When people see you and, you and I living out what Paul said to the church at, at Rome is just this great truth. If we walk around believing this and living this from Romans chapter 8 verse 31, if God is with us, who could be against us? If people see us living that way, they'll long for that hope. They'll long for that peace, and it will give us an opportunity to make a difference. And friends, there are places in this world that you're changing things. June 24th was the one-year anniversary of the reversal of Roe v. Wade in our nation. And states immediately, many states began immediately enacting laws that would spare the lives of unborn children. It is estimated that in this one-year period, that one-year window, that nearly 40,000 children's lives have been saved. Praise God. Yes, clap. Yes, thank you, God. Do you know what that is? That's a healing of our land. Now, we got a lot of work to do still. There's still a lot of work to do. But 40,000 babies' lives saved just in this one year is mind-blowing. But you know what else that means? There are 40,000 moms who experienced unexpected pregnancies, many of whom are trapped in poverty and fear and are trying to figure out what to do now. And it's time for the people of God to stand up and say, we care. We're not just going to try to make laws happen that keep you from killing your baby. We're going to help you. And that's why we began uh, a ministry called Bringing Hope Home because we knew this day was coming. Thank God it's here. But we as God's people have to bless. And we entered a partnership with Lifeline Ministries. And some of you are saying, oh, that's what the bags are for. You've been wondering what the bags are for. Well, these are blessing bags to bless moms who are in a crisis pregnancy situation, an unexpected pregnancy, who have partnered with our partner in Lifeline, who are going to give birth soon, and many of them are going to give their babies up for adoption. And we want them to feel loved. We want them to have access to the gospel. We want them to know that people care. And so uh, our church came together and built these bags. These bags are going to be given to those moms as they go into the hospital. And what we want to do is this. We want to commission these bags. We want to pray over these bags. We want to ask God to empower the gifts that are in these bags with his power, his freeing power to bring hope and the peace of Christ into the lives of these ladies. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to get thee therefore hence up. Come down here and lay hands on, on one of these bags. Just all, anybody who would come. You, if you don't want to, you don't have to. But if you would, I'm going to ask you to come. If you're visiting for the first time, you can come. If you want to pray over something like this, you just come and lay hands on these bags. And we're going to pray over them. And we're going to ask God to bless them in a unique way to pour his life and his spirit in these gifts. And as, the, as these ladies are going to be given these and relationships are going to be established, that God would use them to do something miraculous. Let's pray together.
Father God, we come in the name of Jesus. We come believing, God, that you have the power to take inanimate objects and fill them with your spirit. And so we pray your blessings over these resources, God. We pray that as they go and land in the lives of moms who may be in crisis, moms who are fearful, moms who are impoverished, God, moms who may not feel like they have any hope, we pray, God, that these, this would bring a light into a dark place. We pray that you would use these as a, a tool for the gospel to be spoken out loud into the lives of these ladies whom you love. Ladies just like that lady in, in John chapter 8 who thought her, her life was over. And it began, became that first day of a life of blessing. And so we come, God, asking for your blessing on these bags. We pray for the lives that it will bless. And we pray for those little babies who have been spared. That they too will have hope and a future and a family. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.